don't necessarily always talk that much about myself. Because I'm kind of mostly interested in, you know, what, what helps you and to try to deal with your concerns and topics. And, uh, but then, you know, people ask me about what I do and what I've been and what I've been through. And maybe it's just interesting to reflect upon it. Um, but now, this is over 40 years ago where this sort of thing happened, really. <laughs> and, you know, when you go back in your memory, you think, well, what did I do that for? And was there a particular time when you said, this is it? And uh, not quite. Uh, yeah. Put it another way, I never really became a layperson. <laughs> you know, committed. Like I didn't have the, you know, the, the family, the job, the house, the partner. I didn't have those. So I never really got into the knot, into the groove on lay life, you know. And I, so I'd been at school and it seemed like, yeah, you know. And he'd go to university, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, what? Nothing really grabbed me uh, in terms of a thing to do. So I thought, well, let's not push it, you know. Um, it was kind of time, this has been early 70s, time when there was a lot of kind of openness and inquiry and alternatives. So I thought, well, I'll just kind of float and see what, you know, where the spirit moves me or what seems interesting or you know, this, this stuff is not interesting me. I once went for a job interview, <laughs> once, and they were trying to get me to sell insurance policies. <laughs> and they said, do you think you could get any of your friends to buy an insurance policy? And I thought of my friends. No. I said, okay, I don't think you've got the right attitude. <laughs> that was the end of that. Outfit. No, I'm just not into it really. So that was that. So that was my job, <laughs> my career nipped in the bud. <laughs> and, uh, but then at this time, there was quite a lot of this, you know, spirituality thing coming in from the, from the East, Indian spirituality. There was TM and um, Maharish Yogi. I don't know if you ever remember him. And there was a bit more yoga coming in. People were kind of, you know, it's, you know, it's different things. It's not just your Church of England, uh, nine to five, uh, you know, go to church on Sundays, maybe stuff. There's all sorts of new possibilities. <laughs> and so, yeah, this stuff, meditation, meditation, opening consciousness, cosmic consciousness. Oh, sounds interesting. <laughs> So I was kind of like, where is this? And I was stuck in some little country town. There was nothing much going on there. I thought, it's over in the east somewhere. That's where you get it. I think there was this book of rum dust, Be Here Now, which I picked up. Wow, I go to India and just meet some amazing guru and gives you the hit. So this is where I'm going. So I, I did that. This was 74. It was a very interesting journey. It was a very fortunate age because in that time all the all the borders were open. You could just turn up a border, you know, go and wave you through. No, no wars at that time, you know. Amazing. Afghanistan, you could get it. No war. <laughs> it was a lull 
you know, you go right the way through from Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, the whole thing, into India, and you just like, thought you were a bit curious, and okay, you could do it, you go. You know? So it was great, very nice open time. Uh, but I went to India, I got really, really sick. Uh, dis- me, a bit dysentery, and I got really, really sick. So I wasn't that big anyway, in terms of girth, but I got really, really emaciated and nearly died, I think. You know, I was just hardly able to walk anymore, I was so sick. But unfortunately, act of grace, I met someone who pressed some pills into my hand and said, take these and look after yourself and gave me some advice. And I put myself together. Oh, well, I've got to get out of India. It's, the guru is not turning up. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I'll go to Thailand. That's the next hop. So I landed in Thailand. Thailand. Bangkok, horrible. So I saw something about going up to north seemed better, north mountains, that seemed a bit more agreeable. So I went up to Chiang Mai and then I saw a little sign on a, on a telegraph pole saying meditation classes in English. Boom, there you go. So I turned up at this little monastery and there was an English monk teaching meditation. So I was doing this thing, you know, gee, I can't do this at all. Just, just, just sit there and be with your breathing. <laughs> <laughs> so ludicrously simple, and you can't do it because the mind is just whoa, all over the place. And I thought, well, that tells you something, doesn't it? Um, right. Well, I better do try and. But I could recognise. I could watch my mind. I could watch my mind. If I'm watching my mind, then my mind's not me, is it? Or What's watching my mind? This is an interesting riddle. So I've got to kind of look into this. So I, um, uh, so I asked him, I said, um, can I come to your monastery? He said, sure, okay. Here it is, here's the address, somewhere middle of Thailand. Okay. So I basically tidied up my stuff up in North Thailand, went down to the monastery, turned up. And this this time, I'd kind of always worked on this premise that you just look for the lucky chance. You just see what door opens, you know. I was just fairly impulsive, which didn't always work well, but occasionally it did. You know, you look for, okay, there's an opening, go there. No particular plan, just look for the opening. I believed it was some kind of law of chance or something that you just have a lucky throw. So, okay, well, I'd throw myself into that. I went down to this place and uh, turned up at the monastery and they said, okay, you go to this little gutti, little hut. And then this monk came down to see me, said, okay, Um, take you to see the abbot. This is what you have to bow when you see him, okay. I didn't mind. So then the abbot said, "Um, what do you want? He could speak a little bit of English. I said, oh... I want to stop wanting. He said, oh, very good. <laughs> you do this, 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 off you go, you know, so that was it. And uh, so I was in this little kuti and they were, came around and told me how to do this meditation thing, which was Burmese Satipatthana system, where you focus and you make this mental note of everything you do. So I was doing that and did this for about a week or so. 
you know, I managed to sit still for 10 minutes. This is like, I've never sat still for 10 minutes before in my life. <laughs> so I thought, well, this is real progress here. And uh, I thought, I, I, it's good if I did some more of this. So they said, you, you can stay as long as you like, really. It's up to you. No, it doesn't cost anything. Okay, well, maybe I could, you know, I could do a month or two of this. But I had to leave Thailand because my visa ran out. So I went down into, I thought, while I'm out, I'll go and see Indonesia. That should be interesting. And I went, took various boats and cargo vessels and went through Indonesia two months. And it was very um, revealing because it was, in one way, you know, it's quite a beautiful country. There's some amazing things, amazing monuments and beautiful spectacles. And I was just looking at it thinking, this is not doing anything for me. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing, but it's not, it's not doing anything for me. I'm bored with it. And I went to Bali, which is a kind of surface paradise. And looked at it, bored, don't want to do it. I better get back to the monastery. Ooh, what's going on? So went back to the monastery. Okay. Um, so when I left, I said, when I come back, if I, if I do come back, I thought it'd be nice just to maybe, you know, I could become a novice for a month or two. That'd be interesting, just as a trip. And I said, okay. So I came back. Next day, shaved my head. That's it. Boom. Me in robes. <laughs> and the theme being, well, when you want to quit, that's it. You can say, that's it, enough, thank you very much. You can disrobe. Oh, it's all. Okay, well, I'll do this for two or three months. It'd be an interesting thing to do. And I could you know, write a book about it or something, an article. Do this for a couple of months. So I became a Salmonera, and, uh, which is a novice monk. And so it was in, in this little kuti doing meditation. And they let us go out on, we had to go on, well, we, they were allowed to go on arms round every morning, and so I did, and that was pretty staggering, as I think I touched on, when you, you have a little bowl, and uh, a monk, you know, as a monk, you can't have your own food, you can't cook food, you can't store food, you know, these sorts of things, so you're living completely on what people offer, and you look at, down, you go down this town, modest town, there's People looking really, they're not rich, you know. And they're getting up so they can come and give you like a spoonful of rice. It's five o'clock in the morning. They kind of go, oh, wait, 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 wait. And sort of pull themselves together. And just a minute, come out and put some boys in the bowl. Uh, and they get a banana or something. And it's happened time and time again. And uh, there was one... The market, remember there's this market, there was a market stall and this old lady who used to sleep on top of her stall because she didn't have anywhere. So this old lady would sleep on top of her market stall or underneath it, I'm not certain, but that was it. And she had a little stove and she'd get up and she'd say, oh, stop, 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 stop. She'd get up, pull herself together, find some rice, scrape some rice out of her old tin or something and she wouldn't let you wouldn't let me 
pass until she put some rice in my bowl. And you think, this is just cracking you up, you know. <laughs> so, I think, so I think, wow, I don't know what I've dropped into, but this is... So you certainly get a lot of impetus to come on, you know, got to live up to this. So I was doing a lot of meditation. And I thought, well, you know, I'll do this for a couple of months till I get enlightened, and then I could... (laughs) (laughs) I was a little bit, a little bit naive. (laughs) Well, two months, not quite enlightened yet, but three months ought to do it. And then I will, and then I will, what? And once you start to get into this stuff, it start, the meditation starts to eat, eat away at your plans and ideas. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a virus. <laughs> you think, what are you going to do then? Um, I could... Uh, um, I could... Um, 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 <laughs> you know, you, uh, well, you're doing this, right? So I'm doing this, and three months goes by, four months goes by, six months go by. I can't think of a good reason to leave yet. I think of some rather crazy ones, but now I've now I've begun to meditate. I can watch my thoughts and realize most of them are just completely crazy, <laughs> just fantasies and crazy and. And now you're here. Right. So I look around. What are you doing? What are you doing? You nearly died in India. Right? What did your dad do? What did your dad do? He left school at 14, worked his guts out for 55 years or so, 60 years. Right? Still working. Good man. Still working. Um, where's it got him? It's got house, couple of kids. Okay, is that it? Well, you know, the aim of life surely is to do what you feel you're called for. You feel your heart rises to. What interests you? And I seem to be interested in this meditation because though there was a struggle certainly a struggle, I realise there's something else happening apart from this bubbling stuff in the top of my mind, which is telling me I can't, I don't, I want, I this and that and the other. There's some impetus that's building up, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's actually keeping me here doing this stuff. And uh, I guess I follow that. And so, I think, well, you know, you're going to want to be with good people, obviously. Well, these are good people, you know, cheerful, bright, happy, kind, good people. Um, do something you're interested in, yeah, I seem to be interested in this. Um, make sure you've got, you know, your basic your food and clothing and stuff like that. When you've got that, they're giving it to you on day one. Uh, I think I'll stay with this for a while and see what turns up until... The thing turns up that I really want to do. 
So I stayed with it. And then eventually what happened was uh, there was a, the monastery used to house, have these occasional meditation retreats. There were meditation retreats, Dhamma retreats, where they had a lot of lay supporters. And they'd have these sessions where a lot of women who were supporting the monastery, who lived, you know, life, family lives, they would, for 10 days, they'd come and stay in the monastery. And they'd wear white, and they'd just follow the monastic routines, and they'd just sleep on the floor of the hall, just wherever, and they'd practice meditation, listen to talks. I thought, this is pretty impressive. <coughs> pretty impressive, you know. This was their one break of the year, and they used it to do this. And it's not, you know, one meal a day, sleep on the floor, <laughs> meditate, and, they, and keep the precepts. So I had a lot of admiration for these women. And um, so they were kind of, some people were nudging, why don't you become a bhikkhu, monk, you know, fully ordained monk? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, go on. Oh, fine, go on, go on. And then they said, well, these women, they, uh, yeah, it really make them really happy if they could if they could give you the robes and bowl. Because the for to become a monk, you have to be given the robes and bowl by a, sponsor your family or a friend or something offers you that it's a blessing you know please carry the buddha's bowl for our welfare and so they they find it really they really love to do that because they've got such a lot of faith they said we they really like to sponsor a monk okay i can yeah i can leave when i want there's 700 of them <laughs> So, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't, bowl doesn't cost that much. <laughs> but they, you know, they could all feel part of this thing that would be like, this would be their big, you know, cherry on the cake for their 10-day session. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, it's good for them. And they seem, they're such lovely people, I'll do it. So I, I did it. And uh, you know, it was extraordinary. Because we had to walk into into the town, the monastery I had didn't have a proper ordination precinct, so we had to walk two, two or three kilometers into the center of the town. And we had to do it this very, very slow meditative walk. So I was at the front, there were 700 women behind me. <laughs> so, and two, I think three, other, three other people were getting ordained at the same time. So I was at the front. They look behind us, it's called file. You know, I don't know how long this line was, there's 700 women all wearing white, trooping along behind us. This is, this is outrageous, you know. And uh, so that we got to the, 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 the monastery and then we kind of paraded round this whole kind of you know, conclave of, of people swirling round this, this temple. And then, then they, I got, got in there. I thought, Okay, well, it looks like I'm in it all right. <laughs> and I, I took the Bhikkhu uh, Upasampada ordination. So, okay, well, so that's how it happened, really, on the surface level. And uh, so then, as I say, you know, in some ways you don't really know what's moving your life along. You've got these ideas popping on. But also I think we'd all recognize that we're driven by something else, that something else in moves us along in certain directions you know we've never why we are the way we are is 
it's deeper in the mind than just our plans and strategies. Something catches us, something that lights us up, something, the door opens and you go that way. And that's what happened for me. Um, and I've, after two or three years of this, I, my father died. You have, to get your, you have to get a blessing from your parents, permission from your parents, before you can become a monk. So the family's totally okay with it. If you, you know, if you have any relatives who are dependent upon you, have to get their permission. So I asked my parents permission, and uh, my, my father's message was very beautiful. He said, "Son, I want you to do what you feel good, what you feel right, what you feel happy with. That's what you should do." You know? and, uh, and uh, just bear in mind that you should always respect the customs of the people you're living with. And this is what your heart wishes. You have my blessing to do so. I thought that was just so beautiful, real fatherly. You know, give you give you your life. Uh, up to you. So that was all very encouraging. When he passed away, I went back to Britain to um, see my mother and try and give her some support. And uh, <coughs> that ended up staying longer. Um, because there was a little monastery, well, Vihara, which is kind of like a small place in London, with Ajahn Sumedho at it, who, who I hadn't met before. I had met him once before, and I was quite impressed with him, because he was very spacious and warm, and, you know, warm, spacious, solid, present. Um, so I thought well, I'll stay with him for a while, because I want to still look after my mum. And so that, that extended, extended, extended. Then I began to see, sort of notice, well, all these English people are also coming to this little place we were at. And they seemed very enthusiastic and very touched and wanting to see monks and listening to Dhamma teachings. And, you know, they also have the same kind of faith thing as these Thais in their own way. Well, there's thousands of monks in Thailand. There's only half a dozen of us here. Why don't I stay here? <laughs> and that's kind of when it really clicked. It was no longer than just a temporary phase. You're like, oh, it looks like you, you know, I guess this is what you do. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it's like you're, you're providing something for people, which, you know, there's tons of, Doctors, which is plumbers, and so forth. It's a specific thing that only monks can provide, really. Source of faith and trust and inspiration. And you're doing that, and that's a service. And that's, you know, one wants to serve. And so then I found that you could see then it became a calling. So that's how it happened for me. And, uh, it's been difficult, but you don't want it to be easy all the time. You know, you want to be challenged. And so it's often been challenging in, in many ways, you know. Sometimes you're lonely at times, fed up with it all, bored, bored at times. Um, but... Uh, you know, you, you just practice with that and you begin to work through your one's sort of emotional 
bleak spots and barren patches, you know, and feelings of depression, which I had had depression when I was in my teens. Nothing clinical, but certainly really fed up with life. And you have to sit with it and work through it, which I wouldn't have done otherwise, I don't think. <laughs> so it does hold. You're held in it. And you squirm a bit, but at the same time, you can't say there's anything wrong with it. It's a noble thing. People are offering you support, and people are living virtuously under precepts. You can't say, I just didn't think it was a bad thing, I just didn't think I was good enough for it, really. But, uh, you know, you stay with it, and, uh, and you start to come through these difficult things. And in the sense of really being able to offer service as a, as a way of making one's life, giving some nobility to one's life. Because you don't, what does somebody live life for yourself, you know? <laughs> you detach people, then that's, that's a great possibility. So I've stayed with it for decades now. And, uh, I think I'm going to make a commitment soon. <laughs> Still waiting for the opportunity. <laughs> but I'm clearly not going to be a tennis player. I'm not going to <laughs> take that off my list. Take an insurance job. Because <laughs> that insurance job can still be available. <laughs> so that's me. <laughs> and you, you know, you listen to, I sometimes ask the other monks and some people while they did it. And I wasn't really at kind of my wit's end. It was just that I was in this kind of looking for something to really connect with. Other people have had near-death experiences or people who've been in wars, you know, and they come out of that and they've really seen something about themselves and human life and they just, well, they do that. So some people come to it from a kind of tragic circumstance some people just have an interest in the teachings, they want to pursue it. Um, various reasons uh, that, that, that bring us into it. We're all very different characters, very different. And that's the interest, one of the interesting features of it is, you know, you can imagine, think of monasteries as a monochrome, but it's, it's not at all. <laughs> and we think we're all kind of like, blotting paper or kind of totally featureless it's not that case at all uh, so very strong characters and various kinds you know. and I think okay well this is life isn't it and I get to meet all kinds of interesting people and travel and meet interesting people and share and so it's a very rich life actually and, uh, I'm rather pleased that this, this, uh, this has been available for me and I've been able to to you know, um, sustain it and stay with it. Yes, it's. Uh, I really respect it deeply now. So you still the same monastery? Well, the monastery I was at in Thailand. No, the one in. Oh, that 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 didn't last long because it was a it was a town monastery. It was a terraced house. We were all bunched up in a terraced house, but then pretty soon after I got there, what happened was that the monks used to go on arms round every day as just a thing to do, to get them out of the house. 
and to just be seen, you know, because that's the thing. And Ajahn Chah, who the teacher in Thailand, said, this is your duty as monks, you must go out on to town, walk the street with your arms bowed, so that people see a sign of a monk, that's a good thing for them to see. So, okay, we're doing that every day. And one day we were quite near a big park in North London called Hampstead Heath. So the monks would take this walk across Hampstead Heath because it was rather agreeable. And uh, somebody came jogging by and got talking to them. And he had a forest down in West Sussex, uh, 150 acres of land. And he was trying to look after it. He realised he couldn't manage it. So he was looking for someone to kind of... So he got talking, eventually gave us this piece of land in West Sussex, uh, which is phenomenal, really. Because uh, it's, it's, it's quite it's a rather expensive area of Britain. And so, but you, know, you can't really live in a forest in England. <laughs> but what happened was that the... The monastery is supported by a, a lay trust which accepts donations and does legal stuff on behalf of the monastic community. And so the chairman of this trust, he was looking at this forest and he, was, he asked some local people, is there any house anywhere nearby that's going up for sale? And so yeah, just one down there, you know, half a quarter of a mile away. So he found this old derelict house which was pretty ruined and he, he knocked on the door and said is this for sale he said, yeah it's for sale he says can I come in no you can't come in just take it for me it's, it's derelict okay I'll buy it <laughs> <laughs> we'll have it and so he got this kind of fairly derelict house so okay we all moved down there and fixed it up yeah you should see it's now it's just a <laughs> it's a dream. It's, it's fantastic. Really it's beautiful. That's all the years of work and looking after the forest and planting trees and tidying the grounds. It's it's a beautiful place. It's a heavenly realm. It's got such lovely energy to it. You know, there's a miracles like that that happen that make you think. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> So and that, so we moved there. This was called Chitta Chittaviveka or Chitta's Monastery, mm-hmm. and we had to do a lot of work fixing that up, which we did. But then it started. We'd lived in London, and in London we'd only get four or you know, half a dozen people would turn up for the talk. We're down in this place in Sussex, which was fairly remote. And you're getting lots more people turning up because it's more interesting than some house in London so suddenly you get lots of people turning up and then people who wanted to become nuns and monks okay, started to fill up eventually got so full we couldn't fit any more people in so they started other places so they started three or four other monasteries and um, so I was at this Chithurst monastery for uh, five or six years I suppose five years and then went up to um, start a monastery in Northumberland, which I did. And then went to this other place called Amrawati, which is now the biggest monastery in terms of 
in terms of buildings and help there. And then I was asked to go back to Chithurst to be the abbot in 92. So I was an abbot of Chithurst for 22 years, looking after that until it, I thought, enough. <laughs> so I'm still based there. But now I don't have any real responsibilities there, apart from just to be there, you know, teach and meet people. So it's just, the current abbot says you just do what you like, you know. You've, you've done your service. <laughs> and so I just, uh, I like being there, but then when you, you know, you realize there's a lot of, lot of people in need of teaching, so I, I travel as much as I can to help out. And which countries do you go to? Well, New Zealand, Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, (laughs) (laughs) Nepal, India, Sri Lanka, uh, South Africa. It's a nice place to go. Uh, Most of the countries in Europe, about 14 countries in Europe, America, Canada. So, there really isn't anywhere. I <laughs> but I'm kind of trying to not exactly limit, but not take on any more because uh, you know you just end up running around exhausted. So I think I'll just keep a few, you know, half a dozen. 10 venues or something. I do a session in the States for three or four months, traveling around. I'd like to check into South Africa every few years. And then there's things in France and Italy and Holland and I go to in Switzerland. And, uh, and of course Britain and Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, they, they like teachings too. Because it's, uh, it's, an, it's such an interesting phenomenon. You find that... Um, you know, it comes in waves. So you have, um, you know, Buddhism's been in, clearly been in Asia for 2,500 years, in Thailand for about 800 years. So they've got their own tradition. But as with anything that's been there a long time, it starts to ossify. You know, it becomes kind of like, uh, people don't even really know what it is anymore. It's just a monk in part of the landscape, uh, with a ritual. And, uh, so there's a certain sense in which it becomes cult- a cultural artifact. Um, and so that when... But then you get these new waves, like people like Westerners who've come in, not because it's a cultural artifact, because there's a fresh growth in it for them. And so they come and they actually telling the ties what Buddhism is, because <laughs> they, they kind of lost touch with the real heart of it, you know, like the real practice. There's not many ties who meditate, or comparatively few. So they say, oh, wow, this is... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, you've had this with you, but nobody ever really opened it up for you. So you get a lot of invitations to teach in the East. It's like on the rebound, a kind of fresh wave coming back in to, you know, to keep the whole thing turning over. How is life with monks? Huh? How is life with monks, meaning... Um, do you find that the interaction between people who know the teachings that well and who live the teachings in a way is different compared to life with with lay people? 
always a different people are just people, things happen and interactions happen. People, exactly, people are people. Um, people are people. And that's what I'm interested in. Yeah, I'm interested in, in spirit, heart, soul, that which can awaken wherever it, wherever it lands, you know, wherever it rises up. So certainly, you know, with monks, you can talk in details of some of the technical, the language, we've got all the language, the technical jargon, the language you can get into and, and stuff like that, um, which is, uh, and then some, you know, some, very, some very, people with some profound meditative experiences, some of these masters that you meet are just, um, So you you, learn, you know this you learn and you're inspired and but then also you're inspired by anybody who who tries rises up you know opens themselves up it's always inspiring gladly Does that answer your question yes yes okay thank you. Yeah, I mean, for me, the uh, one of the quandaries is how do you sustain it? Because certainly in a monastery, you've got such boundaries, not physical boundaries, but ethical boundaries. You just, you know, you're not working nine to five. You don't have to, you know, do this, that and the other. You don't have to make sure you get enough money to pay the taxes. And, uh, and you've got a very strong ethical code, which is quite refined do's and don'ts so you're pretty much held in that and you've got a place stuffed with Buddha images so it's pretty difficult to escape <laughs> from the idea you've got to wake up you know <laughs> get on with it <laughs> and uh, but then in lay life you know the problem is that you've got so many things that just constantly pull away from this sense of collected, contained mind, you know, and so pulling away, and um, obligations, duties, and you've got to live in a, in a social realm, which is, yeah, there are good people, but that's not everybody, it's very mixed, there's people you just can't trust, you know, there's not, not the general field is not one of high degree of integrity, <laughs> so that, you know, you don't get that same sense of, of openness, because you've got to... Uh, those are, those are always difficult because you know to 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 really what is right livelihood. That's one aspect of the eightfold path. What is right livelihood? Well, you try and find it. You know, you're lucky. If you don't have something that's, that's driving you into being a mindless zombie. <laughs> you know, and so uh, which monks, you know, you. You know, really only have about two or three hours of work a day. There's often things like just sweeping up or cleaning things or chucking logs around. <laughs> it's hardly stressful. There's <laughs> administration and management and things like that, but you know, nothing, anything like the kind of issues you have to deal with as a lay person. So I just. Um, it concerns me. It concerns me. 